I'm excited about Sunday school. I said that because I can tell some of you are not excited about anything. I think the Labor Day holiday has gotten a hold of you and gravity has pulled you down. I'm surprised you're not lying down in the pew instead of sitting straight up. But I'm excited about Sunday school. And there's a lot of reasons to be excited about Sunday school. I don't know what kind of Sunday school experience you had. If I would have gone by the experience that I had growing up, and uh, even in churches pastored by my own father, I would not be excited about Sunday school. Christian Life magazine back in the late 1960s called it the most wasted hour in the week. They were very critical of Sunday school. You know why? They've been in Sunday school classes like you've been in times past, no doubt. And not every Sunday school am I excited about. Some of them would bore the hair off a hog. But you know what? A good Sunday school would not be like that. Sunday school ought to be a wonderful, wonderful place. When you think of Sunday school, don't think of that fellow with the quarterly rolled up in his pocket and the parrots and the pack of cigarettes shining through and reading the Sunday school lesson to you when you were an an eight-year-old boy or girl. (laughs) That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about Sunday school the way we're trying to do it here. When you think of Sunday school, think about organizing and mobilizing a great congregation and throng of people. Think of a great church But it's not just gathered here on Sunday morning. A great, mobilized, organized, trained congregation of people who meet together every Sunday morning for a combination of Bible study and evangelism and outreach and ministry to each other. Now, that's Sunday school the way Sunday school is supposed to be practiced. A gathering of God's people, Deuteronomy 31, 12, gather the people together. And then it says men, women, and children. So that's everybody. And visitors and guests who come, that people can hear the word of the Lord, that they may learn the word of the Lord, and that they may fear the Lord. So think of Sunday school as the church organized and mobilized to study God's Word together. That is transforming in itself. Think of it as being a place of evangelism where we organize our efforts for outreach and think of it as a place for ministry where we demonstrate our love one to another. Dr. R.G. Lee, the famous pastor of Memphis, Tennessee, said years ago, Sunday school is the church in its working clothes. Sunday school is the church in its working clothes. And he talked about how that we meet and gather on Sunday morning, but that the real work of the church, the Lord's work, as we often refer to it, that it goes on seven days a week. And so next Sunday, we will be doing something we haven't done here in seven years. That's frankly too long. And people get too comfortable And uh, so we have what we call the Sunday School Reset. It means that we reorganize the Sunday School classes. 
And I won't go into all the reasons that you do that, but it, if you do it well and, and the people cooperate with you, it almost inevitably results in church growth and people being saved and discipled, baptized, coming into the membership of the church and serving the Lord themselves. So next Sunday, we get a whole brand new reset, a fresh start. Our Sunday school here, for those of you who may not be familiar with this, and many of you, even though you go every week, would not know this. We're organized into four divisions, and we have a division leader at the staff level over each division. And our divisions are the preschool, which meets in its own building over here, Building D, and uh, Amy Giles directs our preschool ministry at this time. And then we have the children's ministry. And children's ministry involves Sunday school classes, but it also involves things like Bible Zone that's meeting right now, a children's worship service meeting over in the gym. And that's under the direction of a brand new staff member here, a young man who grew up here in the church, who was a product of our own bus ministry here and went to Bible college and now is back serving with us. His name is Zach Viola, big, tall guy. Many of you know him, but he's over there, so I can't even introduce him. And then we have the youth division meeting under Chris Edwards' leadership, students from grades 7 through 12. And then we have the adults under Jeff Johnson's leadership, and that's everybody from the time they leave college up until the time that they, uh, as long as they're with us in life, however long that's going to be. Well, we have been really working hard to get ready for this. And we've had one of the most significant responses of our church. I can't thank you enough for the positive way that you have responded. Let me tell you what has happened here in the last few weeks behind the scenes that you don't know about. We have enlisted 34 new Sunday school workers. They've signed a Sunday school covenant to qualify them, and they know their job description, and they're ready to get going to have a great grade A, class A, class one Sunday school. 34 brand new people will be serving with us next week that have not served heretofore. We will start next week 21 additional classes to the classes we already have. So there's a big expansion in the whole organizational structure. And then we will have a total next Sunday morning of 133 Sunday school classes meeting across the entire property here in those four divisions. And this is best of all. We will have 202 Sunday school teachers and workers serving the Lord in our Sunday school. Isn't that great? I praise the Lord for that. That's good. I'll give that applause myself. Yeah. 202 people serving the Lord with intention in Sunday school. Let me tell you a little bit about the history of Sunday school. I've never preached on Sunday school on Sunday morning before. And so it's a little bit of an unusual message, but I thought it's Labor Day weekend and uh, the people that are here today, let me just bring you up to Hoyle on Sunday school. A little brief history of it. I won't take long. In 1780, over in England, there was a wealthy English businessman who owned uh, several newspapers. 
He owned the Gloucester Journal, among others, a big paper in a big city. The Industrial Revolution had just come to England in 1780, and tens of thousands of children, believe it or not, children, had flooded into the English cities, and they had flooded in because in those days they hired children to work in factories. You and I cannot even comprehend that. But with the child, there were no child labor laws. You could hire a 10-year-old boy to work all day long in a factory that was weaving uh, material or or in, in any type of factory operation. And they came from the country, and they were so poor. They came there to the big cities, and they flooded the big cities. Many of them had no parental oversight. Just kids living, some of them four or five, in a room somewhere, and they were working 12 and 14 hours a day in a factory. Now, thank God we have laws that prevent that kind of exploitation of our children now. But these kids were growing up, and all they did all day long was work until nighttime, and some of them on Sundays, Sundays in those days. And then they just went completely crazy. They were illiterate. Almost none of them could read or write. They were lawless. In fact, Rakes, uh, Robert uh, Rakes described them as being wicked little pickpockets, thieves, and criminals. In some places, it was not even safe to go on the streets because these children would run in gangs and they would attack you and rob you and take everything you had and beat, beat even adults up. Rakes was a godly man. He was a friend of John and Charles Wesley. He was also a friend of Wilbur, Wilberforce who ended slavery, slavery primarily in England. And Rakes became burdened for these little street urchins, as they called them. And he said, I'm going to do something about it. Being very wealthy, he even hired these little kids. Come to Sunday school, I'll give you a quarter or whatever they gave them, a coin. And you know what Rakes decided to do? He said, I'll use the Bible to teach them how to read. The only reading book we will have will be the Scripture. And I will teach them to write by giving them a pencil and a sheet of paper, and they will copy the Scriptures. And so they will learn. And Robert Rakes initiated that. He founded Sunday school for these little street people, these little homeless children, we would refer to them today. Hundreds of them were coming. Pastors in the area began to see, well, we, could, we have these spaces in our church we could bring these children in and we could do that for them. And then after a while, parents would come because they too were illiterate. And they too needed to learn to read and write. And so they began to form adult Sunday school classes. And they taught them to read from the Bible. And they taught them to write from copying the Scriptures. And thus, Sunday school was born. Around 18 and 12, Sunday school came across the pond to America and it was right after the war with England in 1812. And one of the things in those days, there was a shortage of preachers. Churches could not find a pastor. And so the days of the circuit-riding preacher were born. And for the next, oh, a couple of hundred years, 
the circuit-riding preacher was a fixture in America on Sundays. What would happen would the circuit-riding preacher would have a charge, they called it. And the charge meant that he was charged with the responsibility of several small country churches. None of them could have afforded him by themselves, but together they could pull the resources, pay him a salary, and they could have him minister to them. And what would happen is the circuit-riding preacher would go to one church, and he would preach one Sunday. The next Sunday would go to the other one. And usually the charge was four churches, sometimes six. And so he would circulate around the churches, and every four weeks he would show up and preach for them on Sunday morning. During the week, he would come and hold funerals or weddings or whatever duties were required of him. And uh, on those other three Sundays a month when they didn't have the pastor, well, the church didn't stay empty. The people decided we will start Sunday schools. And so the lay people formed a Sunday school. They graded them out, the little tiny children, the primary children, the junior children, the young people, if they had enough. They would grade the people out into age groups, and then they would teach the Bible. Various lay people would become the teachers in the Sunday school. I've often heard my mother. My mother grew up in the hills of West Virginia, and she grew up in a very rural area that town where she lived had 500 people scattered over most of Monroe County, West Virginia, if anybody knows where that is. 500 people in the whole county when she was growing up. And they had one little church, and it was a Methodist church founded there and pastored by circuit riders. And mother said once a month, he would ride in on Saturday evening on his horse he would have his Bible and a few books in his saddlebag. He would get out and stay with one of the members. There were no hotels or motels, of course, there. He would spend the night on Saturday night. The next morning, he would preach. But those other three weeks of the month, we had Sunday school. And our own people, our lay people, stepped up, took the responsibility, and they taught the Word of God. So we went to Sunday school every week. And Mother would talk on and on and on. I could tell those precious memories she had of gathering with her friends and family members and having Sunday school even when the preacher was not available. The American Sunday School Union was an organization that was sponsored by some of the founders of our country, in fact, and they would sponsor evangelists, Sunday School evangelists. They would travel the country and they would go into little hamlets and little towns and villages where there were no Sunday schools, and they would plant a Sunday school, even before there was a church in many cases. Often it was the Sunday school that gave birth to the church in those days instead of the opposite. And uh, one of those founders, uh, Sunday school evangelist, was a man named Stephen Paxton. And to this day, he is a legend among Sunday school people. Stephen Paxton rode a horse out across the Midwest, Arkansas, Oklahoma, out in that part of the country. Tennessee in those days was on the frontier. He founded personally over 1,300 Sunday schools that uh, he himself established. Every Sunday, he was in a different little place, and he was organizing a Sunday school, and then he would leave it in the hands of lay people when he left. They paid him the glorious salary of $1 a day 
And they gave him plenty of books that he could sell for, uh, to the people so that they would have Bibles and literature that they could use. And Sunday schools didn't wait until they had a beautiful complex like we have. In those days, Sunday schools met under trees. They met in barns. They met in dance halls. Or businesses would loan them the space to meet. They met in restaurants and in private homes. Almost anywhere that people could gather, the Christian people would say, we need to gather like Deuteronomy 31, 12, and 13, and we need to study the Word of God together. It is important that we study it as adults. It is more important that our children be brought up knowing and loving the Word of God. Yet, tragically today in America, Sunday school is almost universally on the decline. It's really sad. We're one of the few churches that I know that emphasize Sunday school like we do. Now, let's get everything always real. Let's make everything as clear as we can. Sunday school is not the most important thing we have here. The most important thing we have here is you're sitting in it right now, gathering the church of God together. Sunday school is not the church. It's the church extended for Bible study and, and for evangelism and for ministry. The most important thing is the family of God gathers. Everybody gathers, and you have the praise of God, the worship of God, prayers to God, and you have a man of God who stands in the pulpit, and he exposes the Word of God, in which I do about 99.9%. This morning, I'm not doing a whole lot of that because I want to bring you up and educate this church again and thoroughly on this whole concept of why Sunday school matters because I tell you, Sunday school matters. We have about a couple of hundred people, and we love you people, and we always want you here, but you don't come to Sunday school you don't think it's important, apparently. I want to tell you, Sunday school matters, and I'm going to show you why here in just a few moments. But tragically, Sunday school is on the decline. There are fewer Sunday schools. Many churches no longer have them. Many churches are simply going through the motions. They are trying other things, none of which seem to work as well as did Sunday school. Why is Sunday school declining? Sunday school is declining today because, number one, we have become a secular society. The Judeo-Christian ethic that was foundational to the founding of this country, where that even people who were not believers, even people who were not Christians, those people believed the Bible was the Word of God in most cases. They believed in God. They may not have had a born-again experience with the Lord, but there was a general cultural and societal respect for the Christian religion. And that's gone today, just about totally gone in our culture. We have become so secularized, and when people became secularized, Sunday school, of course, was no longer very important to them. And one of the reasons is because the Lord's Day itself is not sacred to people today. And that's tragic, is it not? This day is a special day. The Lord said that we are to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together, that we are to gather together and worship in His name. 
By the way, if you'll read that, that is in the impurity. That's a commandment. That's not a suggestion. The Lord's Day, remember the Sabbath, and it's not the Sabbath technically that we, that we observe. We observe the Lord's Day. But every time you go through that New Testament, you just take note of how often the people of God got together on the Lord's Day. Even it's written into the Scripture. John said, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and the Lord spoke to me. And it says the people gathered on the Lord's day over and over. You can show that from Scripture. But the Lord's day is no longer sacred. Ten miles from me right now, there's 100,000 people gathered to drink beer, to watch men go around a racetrack, to cheer on their favorite, and not give one single thought all day today to the work of God and to what this day really represents in honoring Jesus Christ. Thank you, Pastor. I'm glad you brought that out and reminded us. Ten miles from here, and not one in a thousand will even think there's anything wrong with that. But it's the Lord's day. We have competition from sports and from recreation. You know, I was sitting yesterday. I'm a sports fan myself. And I went home for a couple hours in the middle of the day, and I pulled up my easy chair, and I turned it on, and I watched a football game. I watched 90-some thousand people in Columbia, South Carolina, perform an act of worship. I said to my wife, they're worshiping. You see, what is the definition of worship? Well, worship means that something is your priority. Now, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm not in poverty, but when I heard what those tickets cost, ooh, I said, wow, you have to really put that high in the priority pole go there. Idolatry is putting something into first priority other than God. Idolatry means I identify with something other than God as the first identity of my life. I am a Christian first. I'm a Gamecock fan about 21st. But I know people could reverse that order, don't you? Hmm? Do I hear any amens? Boy, it's getting very cool and quiet in here, is it not? Whatever I worship dominates my thoughts. That's an idol. Whatever I worship, I talk about. Do I talk about sports and entertainment and recreation more than I talk about the Lord Jesus? <laughs> Boy, y'all going to recall me to be pastor here. I can tell when I get through this. That's all right. I'm telling you the truth, ladies and gentlemen. I'm telling you the truth. My God is that to which I have the strongest commitment in my life. That to which I have my strongest commitment is my God. That's who I worship. So we got so much competition today. We've got then a lot of people decided 
Sunday school doesn't work anymore. Some of you probably believe Sunday school doesn't work. Let me tell you what, it never did work. We work. <laughs> Sunday school doesn't work. There's nothing, Sunday school's not an engine. We're the engines. And we make it work, but it never did just work on its own because we organized it, did it? And now today we've got home groups that replace Sunday school. In fact, many places they've replaced Sunday evening or Wednesday evening services. And so Sunday school has got competition that is overwhelming it from the world, from sports, from entertainment, from secularism. 21% of the people in the United States go to work on Sunday morning now. 21%, one out of five which means, of course, then, that they can't be in church. They are legitimately having to earn their bread, as it were. So all of those factors have influenced the decline in Sunday school. Sunday school is hard work. I told somebody the other day, the only thing Sunday school takes is all you've got. That's all it takes, everything we've got to give it. We can't do it on spare time and pocket change. But it matters. Sunday school really matters. You know why it matters? Because, number one, souls matter. Souls matter. Sunday school matters because souls matter. We have about almost 3,000 people enrolled in Sunday school here. Let me tell you, Sunday school teachers, and those of you who will meet next week, You'll have an enrollment, and then you'll have about 40 to 60% of that enrollment will be there in Sunday school with you next week. Many of them have not been in a long time. Don't cast them aside because they haven't been here. But here's what I know about that almost 3,000 souls that are enrolled in Sunday school classes at Florence Baptist Temple. What I know is that many of them are lost. Many of them are good people, moral people. They even identify themselves with this church. If they go to church, they come here. But listen to me, they're lost. And we will never win them to Christ by being hard on them. We'll never be, win them to Christ by ignoring them, giving up on them. Sunday school is our opportunity to work with those people and to establish a relationship with them, to love them, to pray for them, and to win their confidence and relationship in such a manner that they are going to turn to us in their time of need, and we're going to be able to lead them to Christ, and that will happen in many, many cases if we'll just be faithful to carrying out the duties that the Lord has called us to do. You see, there are three ways to win people of the Lord, and Sunday school is one of those primary ways. There's the personal witness that we talk about a lot. This Fill the City program, we've knocked on 26,180 doors this summer, but we didn't get a great deal of opportunity to talk to people. In many cases, over half those cases, nobody was home. We simply hung a bag with the gospel in the packet on their doorstep. In a few cases, they opened the doors and talked to us. 
Many of them were church people. Many of them were saved people. And on the other hand, many of them, we never got anything more than thank you. They took our material, and, and, and it was certainly worthwhile. Let me say, what we did there is one of the great achievements, I think, of our church in the last few years. However, that's one way to get the gospel into people's homes. We know that every we know that 26,000 doors received a tract and a copy of the book of Romans and the book of John, and so that they have the Word of God in their hand, and we've given them an invite here to our church. However, that's it's not a full presentation of the gospel. And so many of you share the gospel, you witness, you talk to people about the Lord Jesus. Then the second way to win people, there are personal efforts. Then there are programmatic efforts through programs at the church. And so we have Sunday school. We have the RU ministry here for people with addictions. We have the sports ministry. We have the TV ministry. We have our Christian school. We've got fill the city. We've got all these different ways. But Sunday school is the one that you get the most opportunity because you can build that relationship and talk to people and minister to them and grow close to them and win their confidence. And you can't do that with Fill the City or with many of these other ministries that we have. The third way you win people to the Lord, you do it through personal witness, you do it through program, and you do it through the pulpit. And so people come here, and we have an evangelistic worship service. The gospel is preached. An invitation is extended. We pray that people will be saved. We give them every encouragement to come and to receive Christ as their Savior. So Sunday school matters because it is a tremendous tool and vehicle to reach people for Christ. You see, Sunday school has always had conversion for its aim. We teach for souls. It's not a little Bible study. People, Bible studies are popular, but Bible studies usually just involve a few believers. But Sunday school sees beyond a few believers. Sunday school teaches for souls. Jesus Christ is our model. The Lord Jesus Christ said that I have come to seek and to save the lost. Seeking involves a process, not a one-time thing. I've come to seek and to keep on seeking lost people. And I challenge you teachers, and I challenge you who attend Sunday school, don't lose your focus. It's not about gathering around the table and having a wonderful buffet on Sunday morning and drinking coffee and and, and glad-handing our friends. There's a lost world out there. There are hundreds of lost people already in our enrollments. Are we thinking about those people? Is there a passion in our hearts for those people? The gospel was always central to the teaching of Jesus Christ. He never got far from it. He said, I'm going to go up to Jerusalem, and I'm going to die, and then I'm going to be buried, and then I'm going to rise from the dead on the third day. The Son of Man is going to go up there and be horribly treated by the scribes and the Pharisees. And that's my whole purpose in coming. I've come to give my life a ransom for many. 
And that's the Christian, that's the heart of Christianity, ladies and gentlemen. The heart of Christianity is not five Christians meeting and letting the rest of the world go to hell. The heart of Christianity is we care about lost people. We care about them. And Sunday school is the organized, intentional way to go after those people. Don't forget that. If Sunday school is the church's largest organization, and it is, it makes sense that it would be an evangelistic Sunday school, not just a Bible study. Mobilized to carry out the Great Commission. Every lesson is not about the plan of salvation. I'm not implying that. But every lesson should remind us of the need of people for Christ. It should point people to Christ. It should urge us to pray for them to witness to them, and to bring their friends. And when we do, I believe God will give us souls. Souls matter. You see, hope is not a strategy. Hope is not a strategy. We hope somebody will get saved today. No, we go after lost people. We do it with intention. We do it with goals. We do it with a plan. Hope is not a strategy. And Sunday school matters, secondly, because discipleship matters. The best way to disciple people, in fact, the only way I know to disciple people is to teach them God's Word. Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. There's no other way to make disciples than to teach them God's Word. Now, the danger in a church like this is growing up through Christian school, being in Sunday school, being in the worship service here, and you're always saturated in Scripture. You're always saturated in the Bible. And it becomes commonplace, and you get used to it, as we say in the South. And you see, knowing God's Word does not make you a disciple. Knowing intellectually a head knowledge of the Word of God does not make one a disciple. But I tell you, on the other side of that, No one can be a disciple without a knowledge of God's Word either. And so we must teach. And teaching, the goal is discipling. It is teaching that transforms. We teach to win souls. We teach to transform people's lives, not just to transfer knowledge. And then thirdly, Sunday school matters because ministry matters. Sunday school matters because ministry matters. Whoa, let me tell you one of the worst mistakes ever made in my ministry. It's been long enough back I can tell you about it. I got this brilliant idea one day that when people died or when there was a sickness or so on, we would get a group of ladies primarily in the church, and they would minister to those people. And the church wasn't, it was about seven, 800 probably at that time in attendance, and we even named them the Martha Club, you know, after Martha, who would rather serve, you know, than be with Jesus, and the servers of the church, the Martha Club. We signed up about 20 women, and boy, I tell you what, they started with so much gusto and enthusiasm, and boy, about six months from them, their tongue were lagging, I mean, their tongues were hanging out. They had taken beans and gravy to everybody in Florence County. And, I mean, you know, they'd go there and they'd minister to people and take care of them when there was any kind of need, but they were worn out. Twenty women cooking and serving and so on for a whole congregation of hundreds of people. And then we decided, you know what, 
Sunday school is where people ought to minister. They ought to minister to the people that they know. They ought to minister to the circle of their own friends. Sunday school can't do it church-wide, and we couldn't hire enough staff to take care of everybody here. I went to see a man yesterday. The man had his toes, or one of his toes, amputated, and he can't walk this weekend. And he's caring for a wife who is virtually helpless by himself with no children in the area. And I went to see him. I said, what can I do for you to help you? I felt so sorry for him. His wife is over here. He's sitting here with his leg propped up. He can't walk on his foot. No family, no friends except one uh, relative in the area. What can I do to help you? What can the church do? Oh, pastor, you can't do anything. That Sunday school class, they've got meals lined up for me all weekend long. Isn't that great? I said, praise the Lord. That's the way it's supposed to work. That's the way it's supposed to work. You see, the Sunday school takes that verse which says, John 13, 35, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you love one another. But it doesn't mean a touchy feeling. Hey, we love you. <laughs> Go on. You're on your own, but we love you. We're praying for you down at the church. No, 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 no. The Sunday school says we'll take care of our own. And when you're having your foot operated on and your wife is not able to function very well, then we'll help you. We'll show you that we love you through deeds and acts of kindness. We will extend the love and grace of the Lord Jesus into your life. So our classes are organized to minister. That's where the ministry takes place in this church. Most of the time when I go to the hospital, the Sunday school's already been there. Y'all do a wonderful job on that, an absolutely wonderful job. Have you ever thought about, lastly today, what it would be like if we had no Sunday school? What would it be like <clears throat> if we just said, we're not going to have Sunday school any longer at the Florence Baptist Temple? We're going to cancel it. I mean, after all, you can come now at 10, 15, and you're out of here in an hour and 20 minutes, so wow. Be nice, huh? Sunday school takes another major slug of your time. What would it be like if we decided no more Sunday school? Here's what would happen. We would no longer have any organized, intentional strategy for carrying out the Great Commission of our Lord. And again, just meeting together is not a strategy. We would gather if we had no Sunday school. I would, we would have some music. I would stand up here and preach the Word of God. We would hope that somebody got saved, or we would hope that people were ministering to each other, or we would hope that we're growing people and discipling people. But honestly, we'd have no strategy, and the pastor can't do that by himself, and he can't hire enough staff to do that with him. We would just hope, and hope is not a strategy. I keep emphasizing that. How different when you have a Sunday school, 202 people 
learning themselves and being trained to reach for lost people, to minister to people's needs, and to grow together in grace as you go through the path of life. How different when you've got so many people involved in helping in the process. Go back with me in your mind to December the 21st, 1996. An article from the LA Times. A family gathering in the Watts area of Los Angeles ended in tragedy. <clears throat> Five children, ages one to nine, were sleeping in a converted garage, being warmed by an electric heater. When about 2 a.m., the heater burst into flames. The 911 call revealed a little girl screaming, Help, I'm on fire. The father, Alan Curtis, entered the garage but could not rescue any of the five children. He was burned over 50% of his body with third-degree burns and is in critical condition in an L.A. hospital. Steel bars that had been placed over the windows prevented anyone from escaping, and the only door was blocked by the heater. In your mind, suppose you could go back with me to that night, December 21st, 1996. And 10 minutes before that heater burst into flames, 10 minutes, you knew what was going to happen. What would you do? Would you not knock on that door and pound on that door and scream at those people and say, You've got to get out of that house. It's going to catch on fire in 10 more minutes. Would you do whatever it took to get them to respond? Would you care what the neighbors thought about your action and activity if you really believe that 10 minutes from now that place is going to burst into flames? I don't think you would. I think you would do whatever it took to warn those people that tragedy lay just ahead for them. Let me tell you, ladies and gentlemen, America sleeps peacefully right now in the darkness of her ignorance. Never have I seen in my lifetime people so apathetic and so indifferent to the claims of Jesus Christ. Everybody's talking about it. Everybody knows that. Not only the claims of Christ, we're indifferent about many different areas of our life. You know, if I had been standing there 10 minutes before, I would say, the windows have bars over them. The door, you can't get out that way. Come on, follow me. I'll show you the way out. And I would have done whatever I could do, just as you would have done what you could do. 
to rescue those five little innocent children. And today, ladies and gentlemen, there's only one way to avoid the wrath of God for America and for every individual in it. And that way is through the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And Sunday school matters because Sunday school organizes the people of God, trains them, and gives them intention and strategy where that we can awaken the sleeping people that are around us in our community. Sunday school matters. Bow your head with me in prayer.